thinky, thirsty, and over 30. Welcome to Afternoon Army, a safe place for grown army to dish and discover BTS. We are four ladies who just wanted to know their names and can now explain the meaning of Lachi Bolala. New to Army? No problem. Come along as we explore all the important business suit that Bangtan throws our way. Join us on the last Tuesday of every month as we hop in the clown car and drive to the circus. And stay tuned for shorter snack-sized episodes between hosts and various correspondents because one thing we know is that the content just keeps on coming. Hello. Hi. So we just had a a pre-recording debrief of the week because, you know. What happened? JK's photo shoot for Seven came out, which Mm -hmm. the world was not ready for. No. Not at all. (laughs) No. What else happened, Um, Megan? Let's see. Well, um, today is July 8th. And so um, we, on July 5th, got the photo tease, like the teaser and some photos of JK, which, yeah, we were not ready for. Um, The song is not about what we thought it was going to be about, which is fine. It's supposed (laughs) to be a summer bop. Okay. (laughs) Um, it gives me very much um, Demi Lovato vibes from a few summers ago. She did mm-hmm. the song, like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, we're cool for the summer or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. like, it's very much like, I, that's the feeling I'm getting. I don't know if that's going to be right, but that's feeling I'm getting. Um, but not to be outdone. Never to be outdone. Yoongi dropped his Jakarta travel blog, vlog, I guess. V-L-O-G. V-L-O-G. Yeah, V-L-O-G. vlog. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting for a number of reasons. One of them being he jumps off a boat the way I might jump off a boat. <laughs> Just kind of flailing myself into the water. <laughs> Cute. The little the little slip of his foot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I haven't even watched it yet because I'm not emotionally prepared for that. But um yeah. also he um his hair is like real wild. I think it's the humidity wherever he is. Um, it's just, it's like Taehyung vibe of like nest of hair, which is great. Um, still no tattoo. We get a lot of leg in this video. We get a lot of knees. We get a lot of leg. We get ankle, we get foot. Still no tattoo. So that's interesting. Um, and I want to know what SBF he uses. Because he should be pink, maybe a little brownish, a little golden tint. And he's not at all. He's like a porcelain doll. Those um, legs just, had never seen sunshine before. <laughs> never. I mean, he's like Edward Cullen sparkly <laughs> style. Like, though, I don't understand how his skin doesn't sparkle because it, listen, I, this is not a drag. He's a gorgeous, gorgeous man. He has gorgeous gorgeous skin i just need to know what the spf like what skincare brand are you like what spf are you using what is it mineral based is it what is it because i i mean i would love to have that for the uv rays of my life that are just here but he it's fine um and then we just got scattered this week with lots of stuff jk is going to be on gma next friday um, the 14th when his song drops he's also going to open the gma <clears throat> excuse me concert series which is a very big deal um here in the west if you're listening anywhere else um in the world right now good morning america is like one of the premier morning shows it's like i think it's the number one morning show in america everybody tunes in and so i think that's like a real big event for him um and it's going to really put him on the map for this new song um, which we talked about before, and I kind of think that's on brand for him because I think he is the most he has the most commercial sound. And that's not to take away from any of the other members because trust me, I love all of all of it. I love every single solo. I love BTS with my whole heart. Um, I just really feel like if they're gonna market anyone in this market where I live, which is the United States, he's the one that's gonna that's gonna do that. He's adorable. Like when Namjoon says JK English is so cute, oh, like literally JK's English is so cute. Um, and I, not that I'm, I was surprised, but when he did Left and Right with Charlie Puth mm-hmm. last year, that song was a sensation. Like mm-hmm. 
lots of people love that song. Lots of non-K-pop people love that song. So I just imagine this summer is going to be bigger, better, more naked is how I feel. Definitely. I just, I don't think we're prepared for this. I don't know if there's any amount of preparation you can go through for this. This is going to break the internet many times over. Well, and you know, like I, I have not gotten like concrete confirmation. I looked last night, I looked this morning from what I understand from people, other creators on TikTok and on Instagram, that those GMA tickets are free. It's in Central Park. It's a GMA concert series. They're free tickets. It, the, it folded in less than a minute. So people requesting tickets, they, that they were gone in less than a minute. And that whole thing, like the, just shut down, which we know they do that a lot with things. But I did read um, a comment that was like, we are not ready for comeback because if we are shutting down a free concert series in like 60 seconds or less, we really need to prepare and prep and train for when they come back to buy tickets because it's going to be, and it's going to be a thing. It's going to be an event. So it's going to, yeah, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, (laughs) but it's going to be a thing, but okay. Oh, and J-Hope wrote us a letter today. He did. J-Hope wrote us a letter today. I haven't read it, but um, I did see it up in stories and um, I just haven't had a chance to sit with it yet. But yeah, he, wrote us a letter which will just make remind me that he is not posting his meals and his ho- his bags every day which makes me sad so right. yeah. <laughs> but sounds like he's doing well so that's that's good yeah that's what we want right that's like, that's-, that's all we need for these boys is for them to be doing well and to be healthy um so why are we here? we're not here just well, to catch up on jk's activities <laughs> so we're here for the june selection um, yeah. of the Namjoon Book Club, which was When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi. Um, and I listened to this on Audible, um, which was very interesting, but also kind of a treat um, because the narration mm-hmm. changes a little bit, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I did um, get the synopsis. Do you want to read the synopsis or do you want me to read it? You can. Okay. The synopsis for When Breath Becomes Air is um, this, and it was taken from Goodreads. At the age of 36, on the verge of completing a decade's worth of training as a neurosurgeon, Paul Kalanithi was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. One day he was a doctor treating the dying and the next he was a patient struggling to live. And just like that, the future he and his wife had imagined evaporated. When Breath Becomes Air chronicles Kalanithi's transformation from a naive medical student possessed as he wrote by the question of what given all given that all organisms die makes a virtuous and meaningful life into a neurosurgeon at Stanford working in the brain the most critical place for human identity and finally into a patient and a new father confronting his own morality so how did this book affect you like after you read it how did you like come away feeling about Mm -hmm. this book I had to sit with it. Um, it's it's a heavy book. And so I think I came away from it feeling a bit of like the weight of it and like holding space for somebody who is writing and documenting their last days. And I wanted to um I wanted to to give it the time that it was owed um because it was really beautifully written like he was clearly an incredible author um i also listened to it which was really interesting um just to that i think my brain just processes information better audio wise um as long as i'm not distracted by other things and so just having that space and sitting with the vocalization of his experiences was really i think impactful for me I work, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but for my practicum and internship hours, I did them at a medical rehab facility. So working with people who had been impacted by significant injury or illness, and some of them died and some of them lived and some, you know, so I worked closely with the medical team, um, 
And so I just like walked away feeling appreciative that there was a physician out there who cared so deeply about the considerations of his patients. Um, I think that in some other areas and other books that I read um, outline a pretty like dark portrayal of the medical field and not that that doesn't exist, um, but it, it also sort of left me feeling hopeful um, that physicians out there are taking the time and thinking about things and um, seeking out mentorship. And so I've left feeling odd and humbled and a little bit like, yeah, like good, which sounds weird. Like I, I liked all of the conflicting emotions. I like the heaviness. I like sitting with that. Yeah. And I've read to add like this book is really hard to talk about without spoiling it. So if you want to read this book and not be spoiled, or I mean, it actually, when you read the book, you, there's really no spoiler because when you read most synopsis about this book, it tells you exactly what happens at the end of the book. So, Mm -hmm. um, but just fair warning, if you don't like spoilers, then probably should leave it and then come back to us later after you've read it. But um, yeah, listening to this book on Audible, it was just very hard for me to get through. I listen to audiobooks and podcasts while I do whatever, while I'm driving, while I'm grocery shopping, while I'm like, you know, doing whatever around the house. Um, And I had to like pause a lot of the time with this because, Mm -hmm. you know, there are some heartbreaking parts, but there's also just some really like deep thoughts on like morality and death and like, I wouldn't say the meaning of life, but just how we live our life and then how we are so like not in control of our lives. And I think that's like a really like important theme. Um, Mm -hmm. But Paul to me was just a really inspiring person. You know, he spent his life like just continually pushing himself And like, that didn't stop when he got his diagnosis. Like, I think he just really thought about what he wanted to do. And then knowing that he kind of had a like definite time, like limit really pushed him to do some things that he had always just kind of thought about doing. Um, But it was upsetting to hear in the story, even though like, obviously he's not the narrator, but the narration was really good. It was really upsetting to hear the realization when he knew that like there was an end and Mm -hmm. he could see that end and for me that was like a really upsetting part of the book um but like you said I mean he wrote this book so beautifully this book is really the prose like from a writing standpoint like the prose in this book is really beautiful um and even though it's hard to listen and some of the parts are hard to process like it is such a, it, it's just a tribute to his life and he wrote in such a poetic way and like there's a question about him having like a deg- an English degree like a master's degree in English and I think that's kind of what lent itself to that do you know what I mean like that worked really well how do you think the years Paul spent tending to patients and training to be a neurosurgeon mm-hmm. affected the outlook he had on his own illness I thought it was interesting to hear his dialogue between himself and his oncologist of her saying, if you want me to fill this role, it was a very clear, intentional acknowledging the information and his expertise with, but this is my role too, and I can help you in whatever way you need to. Um, And I also really appreciated that she had set really clear boundaries with him and was like, I'm not going to give you, I forget the, the score um, Mm -hmm. that she had talked about. She's like, I'm not going to give you that information. We're going to focus on this, like what's actually happening right now. And like the next step that we take based on the information we have, um, whether that be, you know, like whatever the next level of treatment was. Um, And I appreciated that a lot. I thought that was, I think that that was helpful in terms of how he talked about his patients as well, because that seemed very intentional for him of how am I going to give patients the information that they need to make the best decision for them in a way that is accessible, in a way that's relevant. Um, And I think 
that sort of switch in his brain would have been different if he hadn't been quite so intentional with it when he was tending to those patients and had sort of put that lens on his training through the mentors that he sought out and things like that. Yeah, I agree. That was like one of my favorite parts. I actually wrote that about this question, what you said, where he was talking to his oncologist and it's like, he wants to know it's like a formula for survival rate. So you like put in all the information and it gives you a survival rate. And he asks her multiple times and multiple times she says, no, she's like, no, thank you. We're not doing that. I'm not going to give you that piece of the puzzle. Um, And I think that it helped like his years as a doctor really helped him be practical and realistic about his own illness. I don't think he ever like, even in the book when he talks about like, the medications or like the trial, the drug, I guess not drug trial, but he's just trying like an experimental drug that like has only been on the market for, you know, five years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very like practical about it and he is realistic about it. And at no time was he ever like, like he never said in the book, like I'm going to live a hundred years. Like I'm going to see my grandkids do this. Like he never once said that he was very practical about the fact that he had a terminal illness and that he was trying to feel better in the life that he was living. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And, um, like, I think he, in his mind in the book really was a doctor for as long as he could. Mm -hmm. And then he like turned a corner and realized that he had to be a patient and that he could no longer be a doctor. And that was like a really interesting turn too. But yeah, I agree. And I, I really like the part of the book, you know, and we didn't really talk about it, but there's the whole like part one of the book where he is a doctor and he talks about his patients and he talks about how he cares for his patients and the things that he does. And like, there's this part where he, they're talking about a, a victim of a car accident or something. And he recounts that a friend of his was killed in a car accident and how, you know, it's tragic, but like, sometimes you just have to face the reality like this person could no longer like they could no longer live life like they're you know unfortunately due to their injuries you know um that they can't inhabit this realm right this the earth and so he but he made it sound in a way that it was just like so practical and was like logistics which for someone who's like very emotional about things and like emotional about death and illness and stuff like that. For me, that was like really eye opening where he was just like, this is impossible. Like the practicality of this is zero. And this is how we have to go forward. And this is how we have to deal with this situation. So I think like as a doctor, his experience really helped him look at his own illness and go, okay, what can we do? to make me feel better right now. And then he also knew underneath there, but there's no cure for what I have Mm -hmm, at the same time. mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting the way he like tackled that head on. So that, I don't, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I don't know that I could do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a nice like segue to the next question, which is like, when he is writing and he asked himself, the question he <laughs> asked himself was not why me, but why not me? Um, how did you feel hearing that switch and could you relate to it? I don't know that I could relate to it, but it did give me a change in perspective mm-hmm. um, because we're not in control of our lives as much as we think we are. I mean, there's things that we can control and like a very like micro level of what we go through every day. But, um, you know, the why me, like, is like almost, he didn't think of himself as a victim, I guess, or like, uh, as his wife says later, and we'll talk about it, like being like tragic, like what happened to him was tragic, but he was, his life was not a tragedy, but like, I've had health issues my whole life. And I can remember in different times in my life thinking like, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to have this testing? Why do I have And, you know, looking at his perspective, like dwelling on that didn't help me any, it didn't help me get better. It didn't help me feel better. Mm. Um, It just really was like a bogged down kind of mindset and not change in perspective is healthy and like inspiring because it kind of makes you think, okay, well, why not me? 
but also now I'm dealing with it. Now I'm in it and now I have to face what's happening. And, you know, once I accepted the different things in my health, you know, that were issues or the different health issues that I had, once I accepted them and understood them better, I was better able to deal with them and be healthy. You know, Mm -hmm. like I've had to change my diet a few times. I've had to take different supplements a few times. I've had to like change the way I exercise or, you know, live my lifestyle. So like, you know, once you do that and you can feel healthy, you are back in some control. So like, I probably will never be able to eat bread again, but like, I can still feel better and like live a healthy life. And that's like, in no way the same thing that Paul was going through, but I just feel like he faced this in a way that was like, okay, it's not why me, it's why not me. And now what can I do? Because I'm a doctor and I have the tools to understand what I'm dealing with. And I think that's kind of why he said that. Mm -hmm. And to me, it almost feels the difference between acceptance and resistance of, okay, why not me? And how do I, like you said, how do I navigate feeling my best given these situations and these circumstances that are happening right now that I have no control over, where why me feels very like resistant and probably a very valid and I mean, 100% a normal process, but just sort of thinking about like the difference in those two. And it may just made me think of my time in practicum and internship where, you know, working with individuals who were in their thirties and just had a stroke or had a car accident, you know, and it's just like, you don't know, and there's no, your actions and you can be the healthiest person um, and still have significant injury or illness. And how do you navigate that after that? Um, and I think that that, you know, my experience working in the hospital and just like, you know, the reading and just like the questioning that I do and reflecting on I, I do in my own life, I try to be very why not me? And just be like, okay, so how do I navigate this? You know, whatever it is, maybe it's something good, you know, or something not so good. Um, But just sort of like, where do I start with this? And how does my attitude and perspective contribute to the experiences that I'm having? So I mentioned this a little bit before, but um, Paul had a background in humanities and he got a master's degree in English and then decided to go into medicine, which is like a crazy journey. Um, And he kind of explained it, but kind of didn't, which was interesting too. Like he just was like, I think I'll be a doctor. Um, But, you know, how do you think, like when you look at it and you hear his story, how do you think reading or having this master's degree in English literature really affect him as a doctor? Do you think it made him a better doctor? Hmm. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I think that's just who he was made him a better doctor. I don't know if you could contribute that to like particularly his English degree, but I think it made him more holistic and more uh, interdisciplinary. Like I think that through his background and his literature, um, you know, like having done the reading that he did, um, I think he had a different perspective of patients as whole people rather than just seeing symptoms and, you know, things like that. I think that maybe that would have contributed. Again, we're projecting, we don't know. But um, I think that it just made him a different doctor, which is sometimes very, very needed, (laughs) you know? I mean, I, yeah, I would have liked to have him as a doctor. I thought he was a very kind and I'm not going to say well-spoken, but he, it's funny because I almost felt like he had, he was so practical as a doctor, right? Like he had all this practical knowledge about how the body works and how the like brain works and how he, I mean, he talks about fixing a brain, right? He talks about like going in there, he knows exactly how it's wired. It's like almost like diffusing a bomb. But at the same time, when you read this book or listen to this book, however you want to take in this book, he's so romantic about things. And when I say romantic, I mean like romantic in like the sense of like English literature, like just books in general. He's got this prose that makes everything seem like a very romantic outlook on life as far as like, life is beautiful, 
life is precious. Life is life. You know, life is a journey. Life is all these things. So I think it helped balance this very practical, like work or this very practical, like field of medicine. And also at the same time, gave him that heart and soul to know like how to be a better doctor, how to be a doctor. And I liked when he talked about how he spoke to patients that were facing some very hard diagnosis. And he was the way he portrayed it and the way he wrote about it. He was so gentle about things. But in the same breath, basically telling them we can do this surgery and you could live a great life. We could do this surgery. You can have these severe deficits. We could do this surgery. Could also die. You know, those are really hard things to hear. But I feel like him as a person, having this background of like reading and humanities, but also having this background of being a really good doctor, just kind of married it. And like, I'm sure the news was devastating, but I just felt like he, the way he delivered and like the way he was a doctor, it was almost like. I'm not going to say soothing, but he was just kind. Like he was just a very kind person, Mm -hmm. kind doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So his wife wrote in the epilogue that what happened to Paul was tragic, but he was not a tragedy. How did you feel reading that? I, I agreed with it. I mean, it's a very, it is a tragic story. He's a very young man. Um, He dies right as his daughter is like, I don't even think she's a year old. Um, and to me as a parent, that was like devastating, right? Like to just for me, I was like, oh my gosh, you can't even imagine like that. Um, but I think that the way that the story, what happened to him is tragic, but he is not a tragedy because the way he faced his diagnosis and the end of his life really helped him and those around him accept his fate. Um, and this is such a beautiful story. And I feel like it's such a lasting legacy and not just for his family, but like for the rest of the world, like me as a stranger reading this. And I feel like this would be a must read for medical students. Mm-hmm. I just feel like this is a really good supplemental, you know, like you say, you always like, uh, you know, you're always like telling people you need to watch carpool karaoke. It'll make you happy. Like, I feel like this is a, like, a professor should say, like, you need to read this book because it's going to change the way you feel about your life, but it's also going to change the way you feel about medicine. Because that's kind of how I felt. I felt like, oh my gosh, if more doctors could feel like Paul, more doctors could practice like Paul, you know, um, there would be so more, so much more trust between mm-hmm. the medical field and like just regular Joe Schmoes like me on the street, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think that Paul was tragic. Um, or like that his life was a tragedy, but hearing, like seeing this quote from his wife really put that in perspective for me. And I really agree. He was not a tragedy and he will leave like, it's a lasting legacy. You know, this book is beautiful. And I feel like that anybody that practices medicine would get a lot out of reading this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And one thing that sort of struck me as we've been talking about the book is that because of like his love for the humanities and literature and writing and his love for medicine and his love for his family. Like he was a, a full, like, what is that quote? Um, Like, I don't want to live the length of my life. I want to live the width of it too. Like it felt like he had lived both the length and width of his life. Um, And I think that's what makes it like, it not a tragedy, you know, like that he gets to experience all of the things and that is beautiful and inhuman. And I think that that is why you walked away saying like, oh, that is heartbreaking that a 36 year old man, you know, is dying from lung cancer. And, but look at the life that he led. Yeah, agreed. Is this a book that you will continue thinking about? Um, and did you find it having an impact as you go along after reading it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think just in terms of your own like end of life planning and preparing for things that you don't know are going to come up um, and 
what struck me throughout reading the book is just the moments where he talked with the reader through his decisions of like, I could continue on this path and I could, you know, pursue a master's in literature or I could do this. And like, like you said, sometimes he sort of clarified without clarifying, but just the intentionality of like, oh, here's a moment where I can think about like, what's important to me right now? What do I want more of? What do I want less of? What's it, you know, how do I live my values? And I appreciated that a lot. And it made me reflect on, and I've even talked about it at work some with clients of, you know, where are times where you can naturally build in these moments of reflection to say, okay, which direction do I want to go now? Is this in line with my values? And that's, that's privileged higher level thinking. Like you have to make sure you are in a safe space. You have to make sure you have, you know, like financial security. You have, there's a lot of things that have to be in place in order to do that kind of work. Um, But I liked his talking through that. And it's made me think um, not only about like, should something happen? And I, you know, have a terminal illness or significant injury or illness, like, How do I want to go into that event? And also, like, what are ways that I can control my life right now in terms of doing more or less of something? You know, do I want to take on different leadership, you know, roles at work? Do I want to, you know, invest time and energy into different organizations in my community? You know, do I want to go get my PhD in, you know, like what, what is it that I want and how can I make intentional choices to get there? Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I spent, like I said, this book really, sat with me it was heavy and it was like hard for me to get through not say it wasn't a beautiful story it was and I do read a lot of books that are heavy and I have to kind of sit with for a while um but I felt like this story is so inspiring to me because he really focused on those last years of his life and he really did some great things in those last you know moments um you know we find out in the very opening of the book that he's having marital issues so what does he do? He works on his marriage. They go to marriage counseling. Um, and, you know, he was able to start a family. They were kind of newly married, trying to finish up their residency before they did anything that, you know, big in their life. And then they just decided, like, now's the time. Um, and then he still, you know, continued his residency. He wrote the first part of this book. And for me, what really stood out to me is that he did not go into a panic when he got his diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And that to me, I, I think I would be a person that would go into a panic getting a diagnosis that big. Um, and I think I would just look at all the darkness that a diagnosis like that would bring. And I don't feel like he did that at all. And maybe that's a testament to like, because he was a doctor. Um, but I feel like instead of going to a, into a panic, this his diagnosis really centered him. And it really made him focus on like what was important to him and what he wanted to do with these last, you know, years of his, I guess, two years basically of his life. Um, And I think he really did that and he accomplished some great things and he was able to do some things. Um, But I know like the book explains were hard for him, like writing for him was really hard, especially in the end, Um, but he was still able to do it. And I, you know, for those reasons, this book has had an impact on me because that's really inspiring to see someone be inspired and centered instead of going to a panic and going to chaos. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last, but always the question that we ask ourselves as we get to the end of the book is why do you think Namjoon has this on his bookshelf and what lessons do you think he learned? You know, I think it's like what I said about this, you know, this book, Paul gets this really heavy, terminal diagnosis and he does not go into a panic and he centers himself and he makes that I don't know that he made a plan but I just know that in his mind he was like okay this is what is in front of me and this is what I have to tackle and this is how I'm going to tackle it and I think um that you know having something like that happen um right in the middle of his like everyday life and being blindsided by it I think that that is inspiring And, you know, 
Namjoon is the type of person, you know, he is so accomplished at a young age. Um, he it has so much pressure on him at a young age. You know, the man isn't even 30. Um, and I feel like he's in charge of so many things. Like he, there are so many expectations put on him and I, you know, I'm projecting and I would never assume anything about him, but like, it has to be situations where he sometimes feels like he has no control. Um, and this book might have helped him center on things that he can control. Cause I feel like Paul did that. Paul was able to look at his diagnosis from a doctor's perspective and a patient's perspective and say, okay, what can we do here? What am I going to do? What medications am I going to take? What treatments am I going to seek out? How am I going to look forward and push on instead of just sit and get stagnant or sit and just be stuck? And I think that has to be really inspiring for a person like Namjoon who his life um, is or can be unpredictable. I just feel, I just am thinking of like this past week of all the things we were dropped in the like BTS universe, you know, from like JK to like Suga behind the scenes to like Taehyung. I don't even know what he, where he is or what he's doing at this point, but like, we just keep getting all these little things. This is during a time where they aren't on a idle schedule. So I cannot imagine being on an idle schedule and your schedule is going along and then it's like, oh, by the way, we're dropping this. And oh, by the way, we're doing that. No, by the way, like to, we have to be on this interview or whatever. And I, I don't know anything about the idol machine. I'm just like, I shouldn't, but I'm just making assumptions. And this book was, like I said, was so inspiring a way in a way of a man who was able to take something that was way beyond his control, but still live a life and still live a life that was fulfilling, like fulfilled life even in the face of such adversity. So, you know, I think he, I don't know. I mean, I would never make assumptions on how that man's brain works, but I just think he likes to be a thinker. I think he just likes to be challenged. And I think he just likes to look at things from all different perspectives because I, I think he believes that makes him a better person. And it does. He is like, I always say he's waste. He's the smartest man. Like he's way smarter than me. (laughs) I always say that. I think yeah I say this every time we talk about it but he likes to think big he likes to think philosophically and I think that like we'll see you know like in every book that we have read because they he has read them we're asking huge philosophical questions and we're thinking about life in a different way and I think he enjoys giving his brain that stuff to to think about and to like ponder because he is so smart. I think that, you know, his brain just works different and having these like sort of meteor questions to mull over is very satisfying for him. And I like the way that you said centering, you know, like the idol um, culture and just like the pace of his life and how frantic and like high speed it has been for so long um I think that you know probably just like giving himself a moment to even think about like values and intentions and different directions and places that he can pivot in his career you know even if it's just a small pivot you know like what areas do I have control over at this time and now at this stage what do I have control over I think that that is probably all you know sort of things that came out for me in the book and you know probably made him think as well um and you know who knows who knows what else RM has going on in his brain um but I just appreciate that he's thinking about these things and in doing so is giving us an opportunity to think about these things and, you know, giving us a moment to like pause and be intentional and think about, well, how do I take these lessons into my life? Um, I just got back from a family reunion, which of course I talked about BTS nonstop. I'm so sorry, family. It's literally the only thing I talk about. (laughs) Welcome to my life. But, you know, my cousins and stuff would be like, well, tell me about, like, why? Like, what do you, what is it about, you know, like, 
August D and da da da. And I just, there's so much to it. There's philosophy and art and beauty and all of these things. And I think that those were all themes of this book as well is like how to live a life well and how to, you know, bring in creativity and art. And it all just came together. I think that's like one of the like biggest misconceptions. Like if people ask me, you know, oh, BTS, you know, they're just this, they're just like K-pop band or they're just a boy band or an idol and whatever. And, you know, I just have to stop and say, yes, but they are very well read. Mm -hmm. They're very well educated and they understand things uh, on a different level that I, they make me think about life and emotion and feeling on such a different level than I ever have before in even in music um and so like I think that that's one of the beauty or like one of the beautiful things about this book club because it really helps you or like helps other people obviously us we know but like it helps people understand that it's not just this fun poppy like music you know and stage show there's some real deep emotion going on there's some real deep digging on feeling and on centering and on healing you know we could do a whole thing on like Augusty Amagdala like and we did I mean we did a deep dive but that man's been through some serious healing and when you watch like Sitrata or anything like that I mean you get those things like you you understand that on a bigger level as you keep watching him and as he peels back some layers. And so I think you're right. Like, you know, Namjoon's a big thinker, but I think that books like this help him understand himself better um, because Paul was a big thinker. You know, Paul Kalanithi, the doctor and the person was also a big thinker. And it's good to know that you're not alone. <laughs> you know, like we can say that about BTS, but he, you know, and I'm could say this about the people that the books that he reads and the, and the content that he is consuming because he also needs to feel less alone. And like, why does my brain work the way it does? Oh, look, this man's brain also works like my brain does. So I think that also is probably helpful to him too, is finding spaces where he feels familiar, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he has a hold in that. Right. And can have, I mean, I could entertain having a philosophical discussion with Nam June, but to think that I could on his level would be inaccurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, you know, and that's just because I know, I know my brain. I know, I know what my limits are. <laughs> yeah. Like if he wants to have a conversation with me about 90s hip hop or like 90s alternative rock, let's go. I can do that all day, every day. Right. But if you want to sit down and talk to me about some like real deep philosophy, I'm going to just nod and be like, that is so interesting. <laughs> I love the way your brain works because, you know, we all have our things. We all have our talents. Right. Right. That's, you know, it's And fine. that's, we got to know. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. I, yeah. I do think to your point of, you know, they're not just like pop stars or a boy band is I have to have like trust in myself that I wouldn't be obsessed with seven men from Korea if they weren't if there wasn't something more you know substance right yeah yeah like they are all unbelievably attractive (laughs) Yeah. And like, there is that sort of like allure of like, look at these pretty sparkly men and doing the best that they, you know, like better than anybody else in this chosen field. Um, But I do think that there is like, I have to reassure myself that it's because we can talk about when breath becomes air, we can talk about, you know, the imagery in their music videos and we can talk about them coming to the United States and talking with the president like we're there is more to it than that and that's what I just sort of like fall back on and be like it's okay it's okay this obsession is okay yeah and I feel like for the west the people that are from like the United States army that are U.S. army um we associate and it's because we do it right because we always have and we're associating boy band 
with the boy bands of our youth um, that were just poppy and fun and, you know, that kind of stuff. And we were always surprised, like, oh, this person's now an actor and this. And that's like, it's just totally different in Korea. The whole idol machine, the whole like, um, you know, like narrative is just different because they are, you know, other groups too. Like, I mean, I've, I've been learning about other groups, which is taking up a lot of my time. I kind of blame you, Allison, but that's okay. That's neither here nor there. I'm just baby saying, carrots. We're baby carrots. <laughs> baby carrots. Baby carrots, baby moas, baby stays. It's fine. I've got a lot on my plate. Um, but they're not the only group, idol group, that has this type of idol, right? We are we see other groups that talk about big, they do big thinking. They read, they have you know these philosoph like philosophical conversations they put themselves out there they're learning they're educating us on things so like it's not just a bts thing however in the west it does get a little backward because we put that boy band label on it and i just really want that to go away like jk is releasing seven and like i just feel like this is a pop star it's not a boy band it's not a this not a is a pop star he's going to be an idol pop idol slash pop star because i i feel like that's the wave of the future i feel like that's where bts is going especially in the west and i think it'll change a lot of people's minds once i get to know them i mean yeah don't yeah. have to just show everybody in my life a picture of namjoon in glasses and be like this man's iq is this he also has read these books he's smart okay he look i know this is what he looks like but he's also really smart okay and i'm smarter for following this okay i'm smarter for being an army trust okay it's made me a smarter person it's made me a better thinker i use my brain a lot more than i used to okay trust me yeah. and saying. if you don't know you don't know and i just have to let that go like yeah it's it's fine if you want to roll your eyes then i will secretly die inside and never talk to you again and that will be yeah. fine <laughs> Listen, I know I posted a bunch of videos of me just screaming at August D. I get it. I get you think that this is that's what it is, but it's also this. Right, right. <laughs> it was so funny at the reunion. Like, you know, we all just uh, had our phones around because we're humans in, you know, 2023 yeah. and our phones are never, you know, out of hands reach. You look at my lock screen, sugar. You look at my photo card, sugar. Oh, let me get my billfold out. Here's a photo card. <laughs> I'll never forget. Yeah, I'll never forget when I had, I hadn't changed my wallet yet. So I'd like, I use like little like change purse wallet. It's clear for like concerts. And ever since you gave me the photo card, I carried my gym and photo card with me everywhere, you know, for safety and protection. And it was out facing. Usually it's like not, usually it's like money or my credit card. <laughs> the gal at Starbucks was like, oh, are you army? And I was like, yeah, how'd you know? And she was like, your photo card. And I was like, oh, he's here for protection and she just was like I love that for you and I was like thanks that's why it's so important to carry bt21 stuff to have photo cards because like when I think it was the last time I went to go see Tanya um we were in a stationery store and I was I was getting an insert for my planner and so I had my planner out which of course photo card of sugar on the cover photo card of sugar <laughs> on the inside and yes. the cashier was like oh like you know you like k-pop and we were both like oh yes absolutely yeah yeah sure. so you have to you have to have those signals in in the air of like here i'm here <laughs> yeah in the universe for sure uh what are we reading next so next up is Kafka on the Shore by Haruki Murakami. Yeah, Murakami. And I have the little synopsis from Wiki, so I'll just read it real quick. Kafka on the Shore is a 2002 novel by Japanese artist Haruki, I'm going to say this wrong, Murakami. Its 2005 English translation was among the 10 best books of 2005 from the New York Times and received the World Fantasy Award for 2006. The book tells the stories of the young Kafka Tamura, a bookish 15-year-old who runs away from an Oedipal curse, and Satoru Nakata, an old disabled man with an uncanny ability to talk to cats. The book incorporates themes of music as a communicative conduit, 
metaphysics, dreams, fate, and the subconscious. So lighthearted reading. Lighthearted. Okay. And with that being said, there was a live. There have been many lives. There was a JK live. Not the one where he fell asleep. Not the one where he was with Mingyu. Not those ones. The other one, like a month ago, where he had the book Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. And I will say that we did receive some DMs on our Instagram account of if we would like to do a JK book club because the Namjoon book club seems intimidating. And I said, listen, I hear you a hundred percent. Okay. I've done some big thinking this year, reading these books. So we are going to regroup. Um, Tanya has been on vacation. We're going to regroup because Tanya also wants to read that book. I've read it. I'm willing. I would love to read it again. It's a great book. And we will be doing a bonus JK book club uh, review of Crying in H Mart. Hopefully in August. We're trying to get that on the schedule for August. So just to okay. kind of keep that on the, you know, little forefront here. I made a note on yeah. a post it. So. It's such a good book. I read it before it, I went to LA for PTD and then I went to an H Mart and I started crying. <laughs> I will say that um, that book came out right after my grandmother had passed away. Mm. Um, and that is my dad's mother, who is the my Mexican side of my family. And that book resonated with me so much because I felt almost that exact same way one year when I was in a Vallarta, which is the Mexican version of an H Mart. And there was no one to call to ask mm-hmm. what the ingredients were for this. And that is when it really hit me that like, there, this is, that is exactly how she felt. And that is exactly how lots of people feel. So it's such a, it is such a good book for so many reasons. Um, but yes, so we will be doing a little JK bonus um, and I understand, like they said, it's a little intimidating. I said, I feel that very much. It, it is a ride, but I appreciate it because it makes me think way outside the box of what I normally, I, I read like, you know, these cute little rom-com, you know, books a lot of mm-hmm. the time. And this is really, this is the thinky part of this podcast. The very thinky. Of the yes. Podcast. Yes. We got to bring thinky in sometimes. <laughs> Yes. especially not right now we need to reset we need a balance yeah the yeah balance. we need okay. a balance from jk with no shirt on in a blazer because or working out just for fun yeah yeah okay all right perfect good to see you good to see Bora you hey Bora.